I was thinking this week, what should I preach to the church? What should I say? And I thought maybe I would just give you a little bit of Bible tonight, if that's all right. I believe in Galatians 2.20. I believe when Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I think that verse so beautifully captures the entirety of the Christian experience that the born-again believer has. Christ lives in us. And now we are living a life in the flesh through that life of Christ, through the faith of the Son of God. And the reason is, the reason we're doing that is twofold. Number one, because Jesus loved me. Number two, because Jesus died for me. I want to tell you that the greatest theological statement that I could ever give to you is four words. Jesus died for me. That's it. If I could condense the entirety of the Christian message down to just four words, those four words would be Jesus died for me. That's it. And that should be enough. Why should we go do Bibles? Because Jesus died for me. Why should I come to church? Four words. Because Jesus died for me. Why should I take my, my hard-earned money and write a check every week to that church? Because four words. Jesus died for me. Why do I have to wear this? And why do I have to wear that? Because four words. Jesus died for me. That's it. That's the entirety of the Christian life wrapped up in just one verse. And I want to tell you that the idea that Christ died for me has major implications on my life today and my life hereafter. Tonight, I want to give you basically three things and tell you what this means for me. And maybe we can talk about this for a little while. I want to say because Jesus died for me, number one, I can be saved from the penalty of my sin. Because Jesus died for me, I can be saved from the penalty of my sin. If you go with me to the book of Romans chapter number one, I want you to know that mankind has a penalty for their sin. The Bible says here in Romans chapter number one and verse number 18, the Bible says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. I want to tell you today that uh, there are most religious philosophies out there teach that you are basically a good person, and you need to build off of your goodness and make the world. All these good people need to get together and unite their good powers together so that the world can become gooder and gooder and gooder. Now, that's not appropriate English, but you know what I'm saying because I'm in Kentucky. Amen. 
make the world a gooder and gooder and gooder and gooder place. But the truth is, mankind is wicked. Mankind is lost. Mankind is evil in his ways and in his doings. And it's not that mankind has done one or two bad things along the way. It's the fact that every single thing that man has done has been nothing but wickedness since the day they were born. The Bible says this, that they are, in verse 29 of Romans 1, the Bible says, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, being full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. So basically what the Bible is saying here is that these people are literally given over to fornication, given over to wickedness, and given over to malignity. And if I understand verse 32 right, the Bible says, Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Meaning this, that they are sinning against God day in, day out, and not only are they sinning against God, they're actually loving it. They love the wickedness that they're involved in. And so what is... Romans chapter 1 say, Romans chapter 1 clearly outlines the fact that all man is nothing more than a bunch of wicked, depraved, hell-deserving sinners. And Romans chapter number 2 talks about the fact that God's going to do something about it someday. You listen to me. I like to watch, because I was going to be in law enforcement, I like to watch those true crime shows where those unsolved murders and stuff like that. I want you to know something. There is no such thing as a cold case with God. God saw it. God knows what's going on. God knows who did it. God knows what happened. And God kept a perfect record of it. Man may not know what they did, but God saw what they did. And God is keeping perfect records. And watch this right here in Romans chapter number 2. It says there in verse number 4, Or despiseth thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, who knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Notice verse 5. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up to the, unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds. Now, Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon, Sinners in the Hands of the Angry God. And he said in that sermon, he said, it's like, it's like there's a dam. And behind the dam is nothing, is a river that's flowing full of water. And every day the water gets higher and higher and higher behind the dam. And you stand there before that dam and you, you see the water level rising and you just continue in, you, in your sin and you continue in your wickedness and you gloat before the dam saying, Hey, I'm doing whatever I want and nothing's happened to me. But he says, make no, make no mistake. The dam is rising. The water is raising and there there will come a day where the dam will break and all of the judgment of God will pour upon you and you'll die and go to hell. We don't hear preaching like that today, do we? Most preachers today getting up doing nothing more than a glorified, effeminate TED Talk in Jesus' name and it's, it's sending people to hell is what it is. If you're here lost, you are treasuring up to your...
yourself, building up for yourself wrath until the day of wrath. You don't hear people talk like that. Romans chapter number 3, I want to go there with me. Is everybody with me so far? Romans 3 articulates even farther how wicked man is. It says there in verse number 10 of Romans 3, it says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher with their tongues. They have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Does that sound like today's political climate? Rioting and, and protesting for the right to murder your unborn baby. You ain't got no more right to abort the baby in your body than you do to take a gun and shoot the ones in the living room that you already have. Amen. That's wicked, straight from the pits of hell. The way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Look with me in verse number 19. Now we know that what thing soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. I want to tell you today that God gave the Ten Commandments for mankind, not as a rule, a list of rules to keep. He gave them to show you that you can't keep the rules. God gave the rules to show you that you can't keep them and therefore you are guilty. You are broken. You are fallen. You are guilty before God. And I want to tell you that the, the when we think of hell, we oftentimes think of the most degenerate of degenerate people in hell. We think of all the murderers and all the all the just wicked heathen people. But the truth be told, I, I want to tell you right now, I believe hell is filled with good people who thought they weren't bad enough to go to hell. But the truth is they all are. So that's what the Romans chapter 3 teaches is that God gave us the law so that no works can be done to, to please God because all of your works are bad. In Romans chapter 4, go there with me real quick. Romans 4 teaches us that there is nothing that a man can do besides place his faith in somebody else. That's the only thing a man can do. The Bible says in verse number, let's go in verse number 5 and of Romans 4, the Bible says, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Look at verse number 7, saying, Blessed are those, those whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. What, what The Bible says that I am a wicked, hell-deserving, depraved monster of iniquity, and everything that I do is wrong, and I have done nothing more than store up a long list of evil deeds my whole life, and there literally is nothing I can do other than place my faith in somebody else. Why is that true? Why is that the case? Well, Romans 5 tells us real quick. I want to show you this. Go with me. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse number 6, this is the reason why we should place our faith in Christ. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for 
us. Amen. I circled the word us at the end of verse number 8, and I circled the word ungodly at the end of verse number 6, and I circled them and I drew a line between the two because Christ died for the ungodly, and the ungodly was us. Amen. And I want to tell you right now, the only thing that I could have done before God was just to die in my sin. I had a sin debt that I could not pay. I was guilty before God, and the only way to escape the judgment and the punishment of that is for somebody else to take my place upon that and to receive the judgment of God for me in my stead. And the, and the Bible says that when Christ was on the cross, that the billows of God's wrath rolled onto him. And Jesus Christ cried out and said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. I'm telling you, Jesus died for me on the cross. And if it had not been for that, I'd have died and gone to hell and you'd have died and gone to hell. The only reason today I'm going to heaven is not because of my works. It's not because of some church that I'm joined to. Lord have mercy. I'd hate to base my eternity based on this church. Amen. Y'all a bunch of devils in here. The only reason I'm going to heaven is because Jesus died for me and that's all. And I want to tell you right now, there are wages for sin. And I want to show you this. Matter of fact, go into 1 John Chapter number five. Someone asked me, said, oh, I haven't been that bad. Why should I have to die and go to hell? I've not done that much. And I think a lot of times kids that are raised in church think that they've not done anything. And I want to tell you, that's a problem. That's a problem because you have. And we got all these positivity preachers out there. A lot of preachers scared to death of a paycheck and they're scared to death of losing families. They won't preach on nothing and they won't say anything about sin and won't say nothing about righteousness and judgment to come. I want to tell you right now, that is wicked. That is evil. The Bible talks about sin and we have, we have got to preach against sin because people need to know their condition before God. First John chapter number five, the Bible says in verse number 10, he that believeth on the son of God, hath the witness in himself. And notice this, he that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave of his son. I want to tell you right now that if somebody is not willing to admit their wickedness and their fallen stance before God, you know what they're doing? It's the equivalent of looking up to heaven straight in the face of God and saying, God, you're a liar. I'm not as bad as you say I am. Well, good luck with that. It won't work. I want to tell you the reason that I got saved when I was 18 years old is because the God, the Holy Ghost, working through the Word of God in my life, showed me that I was a monster, showed me that I was wicked, showed me that I was undone. And in this self-esteem culture that we live in today, everybody equates the behavioral problems with, well, you just don't love yourself enough. Your little boy burned the school down and went around and stabbed everybody because he doesn't love himself enough. No, it's not that he doesn't love himself. It's probably that he loves himself too much. And that he's a wicked, heathen child. And he needs to repent of his wickedness and trust Jesus Christ as his Savior. That's what the gospel is. And I want to tell you right now, I listen to preachers all the time. And I listen to the right kind of preachers, the wrong kind of preachers. I listen to everybody. And I'm telling you right now, there is no righteousness being preached from the pulpits. And because of that, we got weak, anemic people. Most of them have never even been saved in the pews of the average church today. 
I didn't, I don't think I need a doctor unless I'm convinced that I'm sick. And a lot of people out there don't think they need Jesus as a Savior because they're not convinced they're going to hell. And that's truth be told. So Jesus died for me, and because of that, I can be saved from the penalty of my sin. Let me say also number two as you go to the book of Titus chapter 2. Genesis, Exodus, Titus. Not only because Jesus died for me, because of that I can be saved from the penalty of my sin, but Jesus died for me, because of that I can be saved from the power of sin. Be saved from the power of sin. The Bible says in Titus chapter 2 and verse number 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Now, here's what I want to say to you, ladies and gentlemen. When you get saved, you begin the process of sanctification. Salvation begins a process called sanctification. Before I got saved, I was looking for ways to be more and more involved in this world system. But when I got saved, that changed. Now, by the sanctifying power of the grace of God, I am looking for less involvement and less involvement and less involvement in this world system. And I want to try to get as far away from it. I've thought about becoming Amish. Amen. Call me Brother Yoder from now on. That's my position. I want to get away from this world system. I want to tell you when I got saved, when I got saved and I turned my eyes upon Jesus Christ and I saw who He was and I realized what He had done for me, I realized that Jesus died for me. I want to tell you right now that this old world system didn't look nearly as pretty as it used to. I want to tell you the old, the old party scene didn't look nearly as fabulous as it used to. I used to love sports and I still to some degree like sports, but I want to tell you not to the degree that I used to. I want to tell you right now when a person really meets Jesus, the grace of God, the same grace of God that saves you also sanctifies you and separates you from that world system. Amen. Glory to God. I want to tell you right now, Brother, Brother Bill, can I talk to you for a moment real quick? Can I, I'm going to stop preaching and just talk to you. There's a false gospel out there, Brother Bill, that I notice that people are out there saying that Jesus saved me from hell, but he doesn't save me from cigarettes. You ever, you ever heard that before? Jesus saved me from hell, but he didn't save me from pornography. That's a false gospel. I want to tell you, the Bible says the, the grace of God... The grace of God. Look at verse number 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. And that same grace of God, that saving grace of God, is a sanctifying grace of God too. 
And I get worried about these Christians that are out there in the nightclubs getting tattooed. I get worried. I get real worried about these Christian rock stars wearing eyeshadow in front of everybody like some transvestite wearing eyeshadow in front of everybody getting their ears gauges done and, and, and tattoos up and down their body drinking beer going, we're going to rock for Jesus. Wah! I get real worried about that. And that's not what I got, friend. Y'all didn't think I was going to say transvestite tonight, did you? I said it. I'm not real convinced about the spirituality of men wearing eyeshadow in front of a bunch of people trying to get them to love Jesus. There's words for that, and I won't say them here. Amen, because some of y'all couldn't handle that. But I want to tell you, it says, teaching us denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Why? Why should we do that? Look what it says, verse 14 who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify. You see that word? Purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. I want to tell you right now, this worldly, carnal, worldly, carnal, off-brand of the world form of godliness called Modern Christianity is as much a false gospel as the church of Satan. I've said it. I want to tell you that the reason God saved you is so that he could have you. And you're going around messing around, flirting with the world system. I want to tell you right now, that is not Bible-believing Christianity. That, look, that is not what this verse says right here. Jesus saved you. He died for you. Jesus died for you so that he could save you from the power of of that old sin. Amen. I want to show you this. I wasn't planning on doing it, but go with me to 1 John chapter 2. Flip back there with me for just a moment. 1 John chapter 2. The Bible says in verse number 15, Love not the world. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Meaning on Sunday night, Super Bowl Sunday night, y'all to be here. And by the way, when they're doing them stupid horse races, that ought not attract Christian people. You're sitting around there, a bunch of fornicating country music drunks, watching in a gambling casino, a glorified gambling casino. I just like wearing a pretty hat. Well, wear a pretty hat to church, lady. Out there, a bunch of yahoos out there drinking, drunk, partying, and you're out there just, well, you, you know, I'm just from Louisville, so I like all that. I, it, it's stupid. God calls his people out of Egypt. And that's a little bit too Egypt for me. I think I put a chill on the service, Brother Bill. Brother Bill, these natives didn't like that. That's all right. Love not the world, neither things that are in the world. Meaning that your kids ought not be more excited about the new Marvel Comics movie that's coming out than they are about Jesus in the Bible. Wife, am I doing okay? Are you with me, wife? I thought my wife had a mad look on her face. Amen. I was going to preach a lot longer. It says, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, wait a minute, whoa, hang on, hang on. This is legalism right here. If any man love the world... The love of the Father is not in him. I want to tell you what Charles Haddon Spurgeon said. He said, Jesus died 
to redeem me out of that world system. How in the world could I look back at that world system that cost my best friend his own blood and say that I love that world system? That's wicked. I want to tell you right now that, uh, you know, America has enemies, you know. And if I, if I got caught handing government secrets over to some terrorist organization, you know what they'd do? They'd throw me in prison. I'd be a spy, espionage. They'd charge me with everything imaginable. But I think I, th I see a lot of Christians doing the same. It's like, it's like you're, 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 well, the Bible calls it double-minded. One foot in the world and one foot loving Jesus, and that's not how it works. I want to tell you right now, a marriage can't survive with somebody loving this person and loving that person. That's not how anything works. And I think it's time God's people get off the fence and decide that they're going to obey the, the sanctifying grace of God like Titus chapter 2 teaches us. Look there right there. Let me, by the way, let me go back to Titus chapter 2. Is everybody listening? Is everybody with me? All right. Raise your right hand if you're if you're okay with this sermon so far, all right? Raise your right hand if you don't like it. All right, good. Nobody. All right. The Bible says in verse number 14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Now that verse right there is for you. That verse right there is for the Christian. But verse verse number 15 is for me. Verse number 15 tells me what to do with that verse number 14. It says, These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Let me put that in modern English. Paul's telling Titus, You preach on that, and you let the fur fly, and you let them get mad if they're going to, and don't you give a rip about what they think. You let a rip, and you tell it like it is, and you tell them to get over it because that's what the Word of God says with all authority, and let no man despise thee. Meaning, don't let them meet you in the parking lot. You can get mad all you want to. That's what the Word of God says. Nanny, nanny, boo-boo. Amen. Leave me alone. Jesus died for me. Because of that, I can be saved from the power of sin. But go with me to the book of Galatians, chapter number 1. Jesus died for me. Because of that, I can be saved one day from the very presence of sin. The Bible says in Galatians 1 verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren which are uh, with me unto the churches of Galatia, grace be, unto you, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Wait a minute, there it is, verse number 4 who gave himself for our sins. Why did he do that? That he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. I want you to think with me, across the world right now, there's wars going on. There's, there literally are bodies laying in the, in the fields of Ukraine right now, killed in the most barbaric ways imaginable. There are literally bombs dropping on buildings right now in Ukraine, and those bombs are hitting women and children. There's probably, I don't mean to be unkind, but there's probably dismembered bodies laying in the streets of Ukraine right now, probably children 
something hit them and boom, pieces of them everywhere. There's probably people being abused right now in this world. Probably children growing up in homes right now that are suffering unspeakable things. There's probably people downtown right now that we would, we would call innocent that are going to be a victim of a crime tonight and they did not do anything other than just be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And there's a holy God in heaven looking down and he's not going to let none of that go. He's not like some parents. He doesn't let it go. He doesn't ignore sin like some parents do. He deals with it. He takes care of it. But before he does that, he's going to take his bride out of that world and then he's going to deal with it. It's called the tribulation period. And Jesus died for me so that I could be delivered from this present evil world. And I'm going to go up to heaven for seven years, a literal seven-year tribulation. And as some preacher years ago said, he said, I'm going up like Superman, and I'm coming back like the Lone Ranger on a white horse and Jesus Christ leading the charge. Amen. I like that. That's what it says. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm leaving here like Superman, and I'm coming back like the Lone Ranger. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. In verse number 9, the Bible says, For God hath not appointed us to wrath. That's what that is. But to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together, <laughs> amen, with him. Y'all going to live with me forever. Hey, neighbor. It's going to be good. But it's not going to be good because I'm there, although that might be a, a help. It's going to be good because Jesus is there. We're going to a place where Jesus is. And uh, we're going to enjoy it. We're going to be there forever and ever and ever. And this old world's going to be made over. It's going to be destroyed. And Jesus is going to come back and rule it for a thousand years. But why? Why? Why is that going to happen? I'm going there because Jesus died for me. That's why. It says there, who died for us, <laughs> that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Now, here's the, here's the challenge tonight. I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. challenge tonight is pretty simple. Jesus died for me so that I could be saved from the penalty of my sin. I could be saved from the power of my sin. And one day, thank God, I'll be saved from the very presence of sin. But Jesus died for me, so why would I not live for Him? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse number 14, for the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which should live, which live, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. I wonder today if we could have somebody come play that piano, Miss Elizabeth, if you'll come play this piano and that hymn that I asked you if you'd play that, that'd be a blessing. Thank you.
She's going to play a hymn in the opening line of it. It's, King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. Lest I forget thy thorn-crowned brow, lead me to Calvary. I want to tell you today that the average church needs a good glimpse of what Jesus is and what he did and how he died for us and shed his blood for us. And when we realize that, the Bible says the love of Christ constraineth us, meaning this, that it, 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 it literally, it handcuffs us. We are bound to this by His love and by His mercy. He died for me. The Bible says, verse 15, and that He died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto Him which died for them and rose again. Who are you living for today? Who are you living for? That's the question. That's the message. That's the challenge. I'm going to pray and then we'll all stand. Miss Elizabeth, if you'll start playing that. Father, bless now this time. Oh God, speak to our hearts and help us to be right with you. We love you, Lord. You've been so good. Thank you, Lord, for dying for my sins. Shedding your blood on the cross of Calvary for me. Lord, I want to live for you. Oh, my life to count for God. You saved me. You'll work in my heart. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together tonight. Hey guys, your friend Spencer here. I want to talk to you about channel membership. This channel has turned into like a gigantic global thing. And we have so many things we're trying to do and we have expenses we're trying to meet and we need your help to do so. So YouTube has allowed us to be in something called the YouTube Membership Program. And that's what we have now where you can pay monthly to support this channel and just do it right through YouTube. And there's certain perks that you get uh, for doing this. And we want you guys to be a part of that. And there's so many things you get for being a channel member. So let me do this. I want to show you this, this uh, screenshot here. And this is from YouTube right on our channel here. And basically what we have is these five levels of membership that you can be a part of. Uh, one is $1.99 a month. Uh, two is $9.99 a month. Three is $24.99 a month. 